The Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. Rupe Hanila is the CEO at SMARP, a scale-up disrupting the global market for employee engagement and communications. Now, SMARP is a SaaS solution that enables companies to communicate with all their employees globally in a targeted manner, delivering a personalized information experience for every single employee. And during the pandemic, SMARP has secured enterprise deals with global leaders like Salesforce and Amazon, who clearly recognize the value of a solution that delivers huge benefits to uh, virtual workforces. So, uh, Rupe, welcome to the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan. Thanks for having me, Gary, and thanks for the introduction. Rupe, take us back to the very beginning. When and why did you launch Smart? What was your original vision for the business? Absolutely. We started the business in February 2011, so we're just coming up on our one-decade anniversary. And me and my co-founder, Mikhail, actually started the business straight out of university. So we were studying in university here in Finland, in Aalto University. We were both serving on the student board, and I was actually in charge of all of our corporate relationships, so all the relationships with different businesses. And we kind of got started almost by accident. We knew we wanted to be entrepreneurs. We were involved with Alto Entrepreneurship Society and many other kind of entrepreneurial activities, but we didn't really have a core idea of what we wanted to do. We knew we wanted to do something that's scalable, something where we can have a competitive advantage in a way that it's a new market and not just going into a existing market. And that's how we came up with the original idea for SMARP, which was actually an e-learning solution that unfortunately did not take off. So <laughs> quite a usual startup journey in that, that for well, 18 months, we were hitting our head against the wall and wondering why the wall isn't moving. And at some point we realized that we should probably move instead of the wall moving. <laughs> How close did you come to, to giving up and just taking on a job somewhere? We had the discussions. We had it multiple times. I mean, we were straight out of university. Our office was my or my student apartment. And <laughs> at one point, my girlfriend said that either the company needs to move out or I'm moving out when she wow. got tired of people coming to waking up to people coming to work in the morning. <laughs> uh, so it was a tough time in the beginning. We basically survived with a small loan from my grandma into the business that enabled us to buy some food, basically. <laughs> and go about kind of building out the business. We were lucky then to be accepted into an incubator in 2012, which actually allowed us to move out, out of the apartment and at the same time start kind of building out our second product, which would take off much faster than the first one did. Well, hopefully you've given uh, grandma a big thank you for all the successes you're having now. Absolutely. I mean, it was a 20 grand loan we got from her that basically enabled our first years. We did not have any investment. We were completely bootstrapped. And at the same time, we had to build a product before actually getting to market. So we were not, and, and of course, we were coming straight out of university. So we did not have, have the industry experience at the time, meaning that it's very difficult to raise funding. But going through that experience, I think that that was extremely valuable. You kind of learn to value every penny. You learn to value how to actually grow a company 
without just burning, burning, burning in order to grow and you really grow to value what you achieve. So let's talk about the pivot. I'm fascinated to hear more about that. How, when, um, and why did you manage to effectively pivot the business? So about 18 months in, we were kind of analyzing that, okay, what's going wrong here? That we're getting meetings with good companies. All of them are interested in what we're doing, but nobody's really buying, that we're not really making money here. And at that point, we realized that we're addressing kind of the wrong problem that we are addressing a problem where it's very difficult to to prove return on investment. And we had been talking about this idea of having a better way to communicate with employees. So one thing we learned through our first e-learning solution was the difficulty of actually just reaching employees, getting them to use something new, getting them on board. So we figured that actually where we should be making an impact is much more about targeted communications to employees as well as then we had the idea of turning employees into brand ambassadors, which was completely new at the time. So not just being able to communicate to all of your employees, but then able to, being able to turn them into brand ambassadors for you by getting them to share open job positions, blog posts, et cetera, to their own social networks. So in a way, we wanted to unify both internal communications and external communications by working together with your employees. Tell me a little bit about the culture of the business and how the culture enabled you to pivot effectively. So we've always had a kind of culture of learning that came from the early days of having to learn everything by doing. Because like I said, we started straight out of university. Everything we did, we had to learn by doing. So what we found to be the most important part of that was for one, admitting our mistakes. So when we got started, we thought that we were going to conquer the world in one, two years. We would be uh, the biggest success story in Finland. You know, again, kind of maybe a bit unrealistic, but it's better to have it that way than the way that we don't aim for anything. Instead, what we decided was that we need to really admit our mistakes very quickly and really analyze our mistakes. So we learn more by analyzing what went wrong than what went right. And the only way you can do that is by first admitting that things that did not work out were mistakes in order to be able to avoid those. And that's a culture me and my co-founder kind of wanted to create right off the beginning. And that's something that we've also wanted to keep as the company has grown from a two-person startup into a 60-70 person global organization. And let's come up to date because I'm sure the bizarre situation we've all faced during 2020 has impacted on your business. Tell me a little about what happened with the initial impact of COVID on SMARP and how did you and your team respond? So working in the employee communication space, we got lucky to be fair. The space is something that really took off with a change in the working environment, the new normal, as they say. So with all companies basically moving from having, let's say, 50 offices around the world to having 100,000 offices around the world or home offices, the need to be able to communicate to employees in a targeted manner became exponentially larger because the old ways of communicating simply did not work anymore. You could not have your manager communicate what's happening, what's going on. Uh, You needed to be able to reach people wherever, whenever, through a multitude of channels and devices. And that really helped boost our business. That said, when COVID hit originally in the beginning of 2020, what we did see was an initial slowdown in new business. So it was a very interesting time for us because what happened was that we had an exponential growth in the interest in our business and category 
So we could see our website visitors, for example, went up 20-fold from a year, year earlier. At the same time, in Q2, nobody was buying. <laughs> existing customers were upgrading. Existing customers were using the, the platform even more. But new business basically ground to a halt because no businesses wanted to buy anything. But it's been interesting seeing how this has evolved, going from the panic mode that businesses had to now the adjustment mode of how do we make this work? How do we make this productive? And that's where our business has really taken off over the last six months. And what's truly unique or disruptive about your solution and the way you offer value to your clients? So what makes us unique is we work in the employee communication space, but that is not to be confused with the employee collaboration space. Employee collaboration space is the Slacks, Teams, Yammers, Facebook workplaces of the world, where the primary problem they're solving is how do I enable my employees to work effectively together? Primary problem we are solving is how do I make sure my employees are aware of what's going on in the company and the industry in order to be able to do their work productively. So it is much more about making sure employees are aware of high-level trends, industry events, as well as company events and uh, news. So that, for one, makes us unique from the space of employee collaboration. What makes us unique within that space is our targeting capabilities. So to explain this a bit, I have to jump back a few years to 2017, 2018. So after having had the early pivots away from e-learning into employee communications in 2018, we were actually focused on kind of all segments of the market from SMB to mid-market to enterprise. But at the end of 2018, we actually started running analysis on our customer segments, looking at our enterprise customers, which were some of them over 100,000 employee companies, looking at our mid-market, which would be anything between... uh, 500 to 1,000 employee companies, and then looking at the SMB market at under 500-person companies. And what we actually noticed was that our net retention rates in the enterprise segment were much better than in the SMB space. So our enterprise segment was growing double-digit growth every year just in terms of the existing customers we had, while our SMB segment was... uh, it was a good retention rate, 85, 90%, but still it was decreasing over time while the enterprise segment was increasing. And what this led to was a strategic decision to fully focus on the enterprise market and only look at companies at above 1,000 employees at a minimum as our customer segment. And this leads over to the kind of what happened with COVID and where we have our uh, competitive advantage is after making that decision, We've been focused on building out the unique feature set that the enterprise customer needs. So that's in terms of being able to target the right employees, each employee being able to personalize the information that they need or want to get, as well as then enterprise level integrations like user management, content management, all of that. It's very different if you're a 200-person company than a 100,000-person company. Rupe. How do you build out a true global enterprise SaaS company selling to some of the largest IT enterprise businesses in the world, the likes of Amazon and so on? How do you go about building out a company like that, gaining credibility and visibility with these large enterprise organizations when you're a relatively small company based out of Helsinki? So... In terms of our credibility, that really comes from our product and what we're able to do and the results we're able to show with it. So 
ever since the beginning, we've had the struggle of getting into these big companies, but it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy that once you get one or two of them, the others start coming because the problems they face are similar to each other when it comes to employee communications or even employee advocacy. So credibility really stems from one, the product, and two, the customer base that we're able to work with. So for example, in the uh, consulting area or consulting audit area, we work with all of the big four uh, audit accounting uh, audit consulting firms. And that's also kind of started with one of them and then expanded into the others because the problems they face are similar. The other part on the credibility credibility is that having our existing customers talk to prospects is where we really build credibility because the results they're showing and the long-term relationship we've been able to build, leveraging those in order to kind of keep building the business has been very fruitful for us. And what's your vision for 2021 and beyond? So we want to be the global leaders in our space. We want to be basically the primary place employees find and share professional content. And that means that we want, we, and we want to do it in an employee-centric manner. So we want to be, be the company that brings the consumer-grade experience of receiving information to the enterprise. And the market that we're addressing is huge. I mean, we're talking about all companies over 1,000 employees. We work with companies from all industries, whether it be consumer goods, consulting, IT, et cetera. So our vision is to be the market leader within this employee communication space. And by the way, the whole market was only defined over the last two years. Gartner has done their first reports on employee communications last year. They did an updated version this year. G2 created the new employee communication category exactly a year ago. So this whole category is just being defined. But we do believe that this category will be kind of the front door to the organization and to the information employees need that we don't believe that there's going to be a new internet or a new email. Those will always have their place as repositories or official forms of communication. But what we're already seeing happening is the whole industry changing into an ecosystem of interconnected services, which each serve a purpose, but at the same time provide a unified experience to the end employee. And we want to take a slice of that market with being able to be the primary way that companies communicate to their employees. And how about the language aspect? Are you offering your solution in multiple languages or is it just in the English language for the time being? It's in multiple languages. So we service global customers, which means we need to be able to adjust the customer needs. So everything we do starts from what is the best for the end user, which is the employee in our case. We provide automatic language filtering and language translation so that companies are basically able to choose, do they want to filter out all, or they individual employees able to choose, do they want to filter out all the content that's in language they don't understand, or do they want to be able to automatically translate content? And who are some of the business leaders, the entrepreneurs, or perhaps the, the thought leaders who've inspired you and your entrepreneurial journey? There's quite a few. In terms of just a general business leader that I think, especially in the way of building out a company culture and all of that. He's actually the only person ever to have hired me for a job before starting this company, which is Ilka Bonanen. He's the founder and CEO of Supercell, probably the world's most successful games company. He hired me for a job prior to Supercell. He was running Digital Chocolate with another gaming company, the studio in Helsinki. And he hired me for a summer internship as a game tester (laughs) back in 2006, I think, something like that. 
if I had to name kind of one in terms of building a company culture and that the other parts that I really enjoy listening to and watching are all of these that are much more about data driven decision making because that's something I really believe in myself and I found that that's something that especially in SaaS is incredibly true that SaaS is so measurable you can make decisions based on data or you can make decisions based on gut but 99 times out of 100 the companies making decisions based on data are the ones that win interesting there's so much data out there and people are employing thousands and thousands of data scientists. How do you home in on the key data points rather than get you know, bedazzled by too many metrics, too many data points? It all comes down to working on a hypothesis. So first you look at your, the data, you look at what's been happening, what's been working, what's not been working. And again, look at the mistakes made there. For example, we just, when planning next year, we were looking at our data from this year. Why did we win deals? That was somewhat interesting, but not that valuable in terms of how do we improve. But then we looked at how do you, why did we lose deals? And that's where it really got interesting. We could analyze the different loss reasons, how much money each one had associated and what part of that was addressable. And then by, that helps us decide on the key actions we should take in order to minimize the amount of deals we lose next year. And then underneath that, each divisional owner or each team leader takes ownership of driving individual actions to improve that data point. So what we use is the, well, same as many scale-up startups use is OKRs for tracking these metrics and for having a clear unified destination of where we want to go as a business. Awesome. Rupi, thank you so much for joining me on your 10th anniversary at SMARP and sharing your fascinating journey, the pivot, a little bit about your your culture as well and those data-driven decisions. And I wish you and the team a wonderful um, start to uh, 2021. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate it. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent. 